The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Sunday, May 19th, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hameen Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking AEW and WWE upfronts, the best of the Super Juniors in your Money in the Bank preview. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news. It is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the entire HTM Podcast Network online at hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day, but give it up for my tag team partner, the Seth to my staff, RBB. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me! It's that auto defeated beef. Rick Victory here. All I can say is it is alive. We had to borrow some parts from PCO, but the system is back up and running here. Uh, it, it's doing just as, you know, we were getting ready to go on air here. You asked me how it was holding up. It's doing enough to get us going so far. So hopefully it holds out here for the next two hours because we've got a lot to cover. Yeah, we, we absolutely wanted to get this show out, but it has been technical issue hell, and it has also been thunderstorm hell where I am. The Midwest just getting hammered these last couple of days. The ground can't take any more water, and they're saying that it's going to rain five of the next seven days. It, it, it's it's just absolute misery here in the Midwest, Rick. Well, I think uh, we're dry. We've been dry. Uh, a few spotty showers here in Ohio, but... Looks like today that that might change it. We might be getting a little bit of what you got, but it looks like everything, not just there uh, in Iowa, but even further out west, is just getting kind of hit by storms. Yeah, Nebraska's getting hammered. They got flooding everywhere. Not a good day. Not a good day. And then, of course, we've got Money in the Bank tonight, which I love Money in the Bank. Of all the the gimmick pay-per-views, it's probably my favorite one. I'm not big on the Royal Rumble. I absolutely loathe Survivor Series. Hell in a Cell is not really my thing. But I do enjoy me a good old-fashioned ladder match. I am looking forward to Money in the Bank, even though I don't feel like the build has been all that great. We also have AEW and WWE upfronts to talk about on today's show. But, Rick, unfortunately, we have to start with another passing inside of the pro wrestling world as Ashley Massaro left us a couple of days ago at the ripe young age of 39. This girl was our age, man. Well, you see, it seems like we're doing these far too often, but in most cases, you know, you have an accident inside the ring or, you know, we do, we are seeing individuals pass that are in their 60s, 70s, which seems relatively young, but at least they still had to live, you know, had an opportunity to live their life. Uh, Ashley here, only 39 years of age. I know we talked off air, you had kind of tuned out on the WWE product uh, in, you know, when she was kind of doing her thing, making that run. Uh, I was still in on board somewhat with it. She was one of my favorites. Uh, I always really enjoyed her work in the ring. I thought she had a unique look. I thought she had a great style. Uh, she kind of, I, from what I'm guessing from this, within the, the system, they probably saw her more as a, a Alita meets Sable. 
because she had such a you know such tremendous beauty, but she had that unique edge to her and and fairly athletic inside the ring. Uh, unfortunately, you know, for her, not such a long career in the transition away from professional wrestling from inside the ring. Uh, from all accounts, things just didn't seem to go her way. And she was working on making a comeback, and it kind of looked like she had put her life a bit back together after the Playboy thing, and everything kind of went to hell. And she had kind of uh, started returning to the ring starting back in 2017. I have seen uh, some of the friends that we have made throughout the business have, have been commenting on this and talking about upcoming matches that they were planning on working with her. It's unfortunate. She, she won the Diva Search in 2005, which when you think back to that era of WWE women's wrestling. It's not like it was necessarily at its peak. She was there from 2005 to 2008. And she was featured very prominently on the TV show. Like, I know who she is. I'm just not sure that I ever necessarily actually saw one of her matches. At that time, at least to me, the TNA Knockouts division is where, if you wanted to watch women's wrestling, that's where you would have went. Where would Ashley have kind of fit into that era of the TNA knockouts? Yeah, I think really given an opportunity to get in there and shine um, with proper training, maybe she was pushed a little ahead of her time, give her a little more time to develop. I think she could have fit in perfectly there in TNA at that time where women's wrestling was so hot. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, she was kind of, she'll always be kind of lumped in with that, that first crop of, we're going to get our female talent out of a catalog. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you, John Laronitis, for that, you know, for that tremendous era of professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and women's wrestling, I just watched the Moolah dark side of the ring and it just, it, it's brought up a lot of thoughts about the women's evolution, the women's revolution and dating all the way back to Richter and what Moolah was doing and everything with Mae Young and the TNA knockouts, Women's wrestling, it's not like this is a new thing. And now we're even seeing it fall off even a bit more inside of the WWE landscape again, as it doesn't seem nearly as hot as it was even a year ago. Well, well, because they've run out of, of first in buzzwords and selling points. You know, they, they took everything inside, you know, what we consider this evolution. And, and hell, it's only been, what, three, three and a half years, it seems like. And it was, let's just nonstop, let's get everything out there so that we can kind of, you know, just boast that we're finally, and we've, we've talked about this over and over, WWE's just been behind the trend by decades. Uh, and now they're just trying to catch up. So they tried doing everything as quickly as they possibly could. And now they're running out of some certain things here and we're losing that luster and they're moving different directions and they're looking for that next big buzz thing that they can get off of their PR movement. But as you were talking about, you know, the dark side of the ring with Moolah and all that, there certainly was even maybe the narrative that we're writing today where there was, res there was more respect in the past. Uh, there certainly wasn't, you know, instead of the catalog era, but it's always been a novelty. Yeah. And that could have been just because, you know, the, the lack of talent, you didn't see as many, you know, young females trying to get into the business. It was, it was, you didn't really see a lot of normal people trying to get into business because it was such like that Curry, that rough act, you know, that Al Snow had talked about when he was on with us. The things that he had seen inside professional wrestling, he even said, you know, if it wasn't for professional wrestling, you'd be looking at a lot of individuals that might have been in jail or some other kind of problem. It was a lifestyle that was set for them, and it was a harsh lifestyle at many times. And you know, all the things that we've learned from Mula herself and how she treated those towns, but that was always a, a more of a traveling car. Act. You, you want to, 
you know, someone like Mullah, if you happen to be in an area, wanted to book women. They, they weren't regular staples and they weren't as revered as, as history, you know, today they might, they might try to lead us on to. It's interesting because I, especially inside of, you know, the biggest company in the world, WWE, they have this interesting dichotomy where their most over baby face is a woman, but the woman's division outside of about three women it just isn't there. Like NXT has the deepest women's division of anybody in the pro wrestling world right now. They're just not showcasing the entire division. They're showcasing Becky. They're showcasing Charlotte. They're showcasing Lacey. And outside of that, like I'm not looking forward to this women's money in the bank ladder match at all. I'm just hoping nobody gets hurt. And that's a great point. You know, it's just, this is another case of if they can do it, we can do it too. Well, it's just, it's a it's a fact of life. They're not built the same way. They're going to go out there and try to take these bumps that you're going to see some of these guys going, and you're going to be on the edge of your seat out of out of fear, not out of awe. I mean, just hoping that someone doesn't get seriously injured here, especially with some of these competitors in here that they're just not there yet. Right. Even through all these years of training, you know, I I, I praise Dana Brooke quite a bit for her athleticism through you know her workout routines and all that, like the floor routines and all that. But that's different than translating inside of the ring here. Uh, and she's not going to be set up in any kind of shape to take any kind of major bump. And hopefully that they're smart enough to realize that with someone like her. I mean, look, look at how reckless, look how reckless and how worried we are about Sasha Banks at times, because she's out there trying to go a million miles per hour, trying to do everything that, you know, say a Seth Rollins can do. And in the meantime, you have women like Sasha Banks who are sitting on the sidelines. You have women like Candice LeRae and Bianca Belair and Shayna Baszler and Kyrie Sane's not in the match and Asuka's not in the match. But, you know, we've got Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville and, and, and Dana Brooke and Carmella. And like they're just they're featuring the wrong women's talent because we're going back to this era when Ashley was really taking stage. And now it seems as though the women's division is becoming much more about cosmetics because we've got Charlotte and Becky on top and that's the feature program and everything else is basically the divas era. Well, we are talking about, you know, depth and divisions. Let's see, let's not forget. We were just talking about the knockouts, you know, they're still going strong. Uh, you, you do, you've got great shows. I don't, I don't want to say it's division because it's in its own promotion, but we've got wow. Yeah. Uh, everything you see with shimmer shine around the globe, things like that. So, no, it, it is thriving. It, it truly is. And it will be interesting to see how AEW handles their women's division. Yeah, very much so. Let's go ahead. Let's shift to AEW. And let's talk a little bit about this TV deal and the Warner Media upfronts that we saw the other day. Uh, Rick, I guess the, the, the first place to start is kind of, in a weird way, the XFL. Because we talked about the XFL TV deal here just a couple of weeks ago on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling podcast and over in the locker room at hackerhameen.podbean.com. This is very much the same kind of deal. This is There's no program rights here. This is just a straight-up ad split. It's, it's the XFL deal, except maybe a little bit better. Uh, yeah, and, and I think, you know, this was kind of a rumor going out that they weren't really going to see a lot of revenue on this thing and, and that the networks weren't actually going to pay for the program. And they were, they took a lot of heat on this. But, you know, to me, immediately when I saw this, you know, I thought, hey, this is very edgy. This is what these guys do. They roll the dice. No pun intended there. They're really they're willing to take the gamble to put pe- to put out their product to get people to believe in it. And if this is the way you got to go. Then, so be it. This is the way you have to do this. We talked about this. Can't remember if it was in the locker room or here on the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, but 
we said, you know, what does this say for other promotions? Uh, like an MLW, um, Ring of Honor is a little different scenario because they simply exist for easy television. Uh, but you know, especially like an Impact, who for the longest time they can't they can't even get a sniff from a network, and it's because they're out there trying to approach this from a WWE model where we want top dollar for you to air our product instead of saying, hey, you know, we'll we'll put up we'll put our money where our mouth is. We're going to show you we're, that we can create results. That's what AEW is attempting to do here. Now, I don't know, you know, of impact they've been so tainted uh, just over the years from, you know, mismanagement and how many times it almost just seems that the company has changed hands. AEW's got a fresh start. They can do something special here. They've got, you know, they're coming in with a lot of momentum from from all in, all the hype with Double or Nothing, the merchandise sales. So it seems like there is a legit market for this. Well, you bring up Impact Wrestling. You know, we, we, we've seen this kind of influx of talent inside of the WWE requesting their release. And the immediate thought is, everybody says, go to AEW. You know, and, and we've even made the case, who's to say AEW even wants some of these talents that are requesting their release from the WWE? We saw a couple of them come to light here over the course of the last week with Impact Wrestling. The AEW effect has made its way to Impact now as Killer Cross and Scarlet Bordeaux have requested their release from Impact Wrestling. And that feels like a death blow to Impact for me. That's like... Two of the reasons that people tune in to watch this show. If you're losing the Lucha Brothers, you're losing Killer Cross, and you're losing Scarlet Bordeaux, that's a huge blow to Impact Wrestling. Well, and then you get into the trickle-down effect. You see a top star like that ready to leave. I mean, is that going to influence others as well? Or as they see this as an opportunity to be, okay, you know, let him walk because that spot becomes open for me. I guess the biggest issue here is, you know, everyone always wants to knock WWE with you know, we've had these conversations in, in many of the circles we run in about insurance or, uh, you know, how they're actually treated, what the payment is. Well, I guess the reports coming here out of out of Impact Wrestling is even their top talents are only getting like forty five thousand dollars a year. Well, I think of, I mean, if they're filming four to six weeks of television, you're talking about basically like what, 10 to 20 days out of the year that they're actually well, filming television. I, I get that. And I understand, hey, you know, for the actual work that you're putting in there. And it does, and it, and it it spikes your, you know, your value on the independent market. You know, what you're getting going to these different shows like this. So, I mean, you, you have that. Effect. I'd be curious to know how many dates that's for. I bet you it's no more than like 25, 30 dates. What's the return, though, on it? I mean, what is the company bringing in? You yeah. know, what is, what is the portion there? Because yeah, you, you'd hope that they're generating a lot more than this. And at what point does being affiliated with Impact Wrestling actually hurt a talent's brand at this point? You know, when you're only getting 12,000 viewers for the show, you know, you don't want to be defined down by the show that you're on, just like you don't want to be defined down by the booking. Perfect. Perfect point. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Turner. Uh, because there's a, a, a something very interesting that we kind of picked up on through the Twitter uh exchanges with AEW and Turner. This is being billed underneath of Turner drama and not Turner sports, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, so that's, what's going to lead me to the Wednesday time slot. We'll talk about all the things that we don't necessarily know here in a minute, but I feel like the important thing here, Rick is a gentleman by the name of Bob Greenblatt. Bob Greenblatt was an executive at NBC universal, and he has now kind of taken 
taken over the Warner Media empire as the top guy, it seems like Bob Greenblatt really wants pro wrestling on the show. Does this sound familiar that there's a big wig at Turner that wants the show on the air? But Turner Sports passed on it, so they actually put this with Turner Drama instead of Turner Sports. Do you make anything out of this? Well, I, you know, that was I was curious about this as well, and I wanted to ask you, you know, was it something internally where maybe they, they didn't want the sports department to be associated with this, or they just weren't interested in their own programming? But how is this going to tie in when does, does they run NBA on Wednesdays? No, on not on Wednesday. The NBA time slot for Turner is Tuesday and Thursday, which is why that's, I'm thinking okay. their show will be on Wednesdays. Yeah, that's what I believe because I know you know they were kind of hoping themselves because they went out and did the Tuesday night dynamite. But that was so early on, man. That was before TV was even like really on the radar for AEW. They went out and they trademarked that Tuesday night dynamite. They not who's to say they don't do a Tuesday night pay per view? I mean, we saw. NWA TNA experiment with what was it Wednesday nights there for a while? Well, even going back to uh, to the NWA days where we have so many ties that we're seeing, you know, that they're looking to try to resurrect some of those pay-per-views. They used to run things during the week. Or they also are going to have Bleacher Report Live available to them as well. They could run something on there on Tuesday. Well, and I think, you, you know, mentioning the Tuesday, though, that might have been, you know, just a kind of wishing and knowing that that Tuesday slot was going to be open. With, with WWE sending their show to Fox. Absolutely. Before Turner was even part of the equation. Right. And it might have been, hey, you know, we're going to pitch this thing and say, hey, people are familiar with watching wrestling on Tuesday nights. We'd love to come in here with this. But, you know, they might have had a vision, you know, something in their head to just run an Internet show. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I got to say, though, man, it, it did. You got into goosebump territory. Seeing that AEW logo. On that fire background being tweeted out by Turner Drama, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, and that's what's going to, you know, a perfect setup here to send wrestling back there. Uh, and it's it seems, you know, where are you getting kind of the vibe from the fans here? Well, I... I... <laughs> the fans, oh my gosh, there there's a million different ways that you can spin that. Um, I... Let's talk about demographics of fans, okay? I mean, because we have seen, whether it be Ring of Honor or whether it be the NWA at NWA 70 in the Crockett Cup, whether it be what we saw at All In, they have that target demographic. They have that 25 to 32 cool demographic, the hot topic demographic. That's already on lock for AEW. Now they're trying to reach all the fans that have tuned out. They're trying to find all those old people that used to watch Nitro. They're trying to find people that are disenchanted with the WWE and give you something that's brand new, but still feels kind of familiar. I thought this was genius the way it was done. Uh, I, I'm with you 100%, but it, you know, I've just seen some people that, you know, maybe it's just the nature, the nature of the beast. You know, so it seems that, that there's a good portion that are starting to turn on this thing or sour a little bit. Or, you know, or just, I don't know, you know, it's just a natural thing that they're just going to be negative towards something. It almost feels like that's been beat into the culture at this point, doesn't it? Like, we, we, we've spent so much time just bad-mouthing what's going on inside of the WWE that now anything pro wrestling, we just got to sit and talk shit about it. Is that That's kind of the vibe I'm, I'm getting from the IWC here lately. Uh, yeah, a little bit where it's just... 
you, you don't really understand anything. And you don't even want to give it a chance. So let's jump all over it before it even happens. Yep. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what's happening here in a minute too. Uh, Warner Media is going to be covering production costs for this thing. AEW is going to cover the talent contracts. So the way that I read this thing and the, what's being reported at this point is Turner's going to cover the production costs. This is what we talked about months ago, that they may not be getting you know a $50 million program rights fee but having your production costs covered, that's something WWE doesn't even have in their TV deal. Well, which is why when you see such that huge number, you know, it greatly comes down because, I mean, your production is not cheap for these things. No, not at all. Although, well, it, all depending on what kind of level that you want. At WWE, that production is not cheap at all. Uh, but we get into a situation where you fear, you know, what exactly is that number? Because I don't think we want this thing to look like Ring of Honor. No, the production is going to – that's the thing that I am most looking forward to seeing at Double or Nothing. Like, you can't have any hiccups. Like, you don't get a grace period anymore. You can, This can't be the Honor Club launch. This thing's got to look immaculate. It's got to be presented just crystal clear, no audio issues. This has to be a mainstream TV product when I tune in next Saturday. Now, going back – for the production for All In, I mean, it went off without a hitch pretty much, didn't it? For the most part, yeah, I think so. And you had Ring of Honor involved there as well. They were learning, but hopefully uh, the guys from AEW were able to take a lot from that. And now that they actually, what brings up another good point, you know, from the production, this isn't, since it's not affiliated with the sports section of uh, TNT, I mean, what kind of edge or possibly disadvantage should we get there with them being with the drama? Well, and it all depends on how they're going to produce their TV show, which they may not even necessarily know as of yet. Uh, we were talking before we went on air. Cody had just released a video that's hyping the natural versus the nightmare in a music video form. And I was like, put that on TV. That's what I want to see out of AEW. I want to see these cinematic building of stories, much like a Turner drama that all culminates at something inside of the ring, kind of like the way Lucha Underground used to do it, where the only time that you acknowledge the cameras is inside the ring and the rest of it's a damn TV show. Now, will that be enough for people that are used to a different approach to professional wrestling? Or, or I mean, could this be a turnoff? I, it, it could be a it could go either way, honestly. I mean, we, we saw the success of Lucha Underground on a very, very small scale. But if we're going to reimagine professional wrestling in, in a 2019 context, I feel like that's the direction it has to go. I would. But, you know, that's one of the reasons I had trouble getting into Lucha Underground because it was so different. It was a, a television show with professional wrestling in it and not a wrestling promotion. How much of that was also that half the show was in Spanish and it was Lucha? That probably also played into it as well, too. And then, you, I mean, you have, you know, some of the things. I'm not, I'm not totally knocking it. I know it had a, a great a great strategy and, you know, picked up that cult following. It just wasn't for me because it wasn't what I'm accustomed to. You know, I want more of the sports aspect in there with the drama, but not where you go over the top. I want, I want it to mimic real life. Right. Yeah, that's, I, I, I want more drama and less soap opera. 
I think I think that's going to be the absolute key for AEW. Um, there's going to be an ad split between AEW and Warner Media. So Rick, the way this thing reads, it's going to be singing for your supper. Ratings equal cash. The more ratings you have, the more eyeballs you have on the product. That's how they're going to make money. Well, it's ultimately it's how they got this deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens when the numbers come out for Double or Nothing, because the way that you can watch Double or Nothing, if you are outside of the United States, you can watch it on Fight TV. If you are inside the United States, you are going to be watching on Bleacher Report Live. Now, I'm just hoping and praying that we don't have Honor Club issues here where we crash the servers because they're not anticipating what is coming through Breacher Report Live. But this thing is also going to be on traditional pay-per-view. It's listed at $49.95. This is the thing I'm seeing people complain about the most. And, I'm, dude, invite over like three of your buddies. Everybody throw in 15 bucks and just watch the fucking show. Well, you know, this, comes, this is what does it come down to. We're just so accustomed to, in this day and age, where the traditional pay-per-view model for professional wrestling is, is obsolete. And, and to see them having, you know, to go with this attempt uh, with such a perceived high ticket, uh, it scares people and, and it's freaking them out. But you know, this is, we, we need to support this thing financially to help these guys get going here. Because like, you know, as we've been sitting here laying out they're they're not, they're, they're not WWE where someone's just handing over all this money to them. I mean, sure. They have a great financial backer, uh, they, they're going to they're set up for success here, but they're going to need they're going to need their audience. They're going to need support here to show people that they're willing to pay a little bit for this. And like you said, make it a make it an event. This is going to be something you're going to want to remember. So make it into an event. Make it a party. Invite some people over. Everybody chip in. It's not that much. Yeah, it's it's 50 bucks. Who cares? Who cares? Here's what we don't know at this point. We don't necessarily know the time slot. I'm still going with Wednesday night from 8 to 10. I expect it's going to be a two-hour show. The thing that I really want to know out of this whole thing, Rick, is what is the duration of this contract? Is this for eight episodes? Is this for 16 episodes? Is this for 24 episodes? Is this a five-year deal? I feel like that's kind of important. Well, there's a lot in there as we, we don't know as well, you know, just not how many episodes, but what's the model? Are we looking at seasons? Right. And uh, are we looking at the traditional 52 weeks a year of original programming? Is this thing going to be live or is it going to be taped? Uh, yeah, there's so much still uh, that, you know, that that needs to the blanks that need to be filled in. And I've, I've heard a lot of pundits talking about this, and I've even heard some people inside of the business talking about this and it seems like there is a level of frustration that we don't know all of the details of this tv deal and i i keep reminding people they are under no obligation to let you know the details of this tv deal they are not a publicly traded company it's not the wwe they don't have to tell us a goddamn thing if they don't want to well, I think, you know, really at this point, it, let's look at how they've handled their business to this point. They, they haven't been a group that just reveals everything. It, it's little bits of knowledge. As Cody uh, in, said in months ago, they're spacing their pops. Well, you need to. They, they, and you and I were kind of on that. You know, immediately during the first pep rally, everyone was really excited. We said, well, let's wait. 
let's wait. Not so much that, and yeah, we did. We said we would have liked a little more information. We were on that on that train of thought because it's just, so, I mean, it's just the way we are. We want to talk about it. It's the things that we were interested in knowing about them. But when you take a step back, it makes a lot of sense how they're handling themselves here. Because, you know, when they announced this earlier in the year, I mean, you got 10 months to go at that point uh, until this thing becomes a reality. And we're still five months away now. Right. They, they have to stay relevant all summer to get people to watch this show in October. We know they have Double or Nothing coming up. We know they have that Fighter Fest coming up. They have Fight for the Fallen coming up. It's going to be interesting to see how they keep this going. And, and keeping the grassroots campaign that they got going on. I'm loving that. Of course, we'll talk about Pac and Hangman here in a second. Um, one thing I am worried about, though, Rick, is not knowing the length of the TV deal. Because what I am afraid of, ratings are going to equal cash for them. But I don't want them to run into what they had on Nitro and Thunder when ratings were going so far down. They just started throwing out like every match that you could possibly think of so that you're ending up with stuff like, you know, Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega on a random Wednesday night just to pop a rating. And they basically blew their load and they didn't have anything for the long term. It was all hot shot booking. If this is only like an eight episode deal. I don't want them to hot shot book this thing just to pop ratings. Well, and, and let's look at the, how this this roster is structured. I mean, you've got a few at the very top there, but then there's some relative unknowns here that are going to make up this undercard. And I th- you think you know that's been one of the knocks on them so far is uh, star power. They're, they're going to have to really get people invested early in this undercard, which I think, you know, well, we're looking at the vignettes that we're seeing on, you know, road to double or nothing. Uh pretty masterful in that sense we're either real they're, they're quick hits uh but you're getting a connection very early and they've gone out and they've got some very unique stars uh different than what we're going to see the, one thing we can say for certain this isn't going to be the cookie cutter wwe style no that's for sure uh one thing i also thought was interesting from the aew upfront is the fact that i couldn't find video of it this thing was very very low key they didn't post any video of it. I saw a couple of pictures of them hanging out with like Shaq. I saw them walking the red carpet. It was really low key. It was very well done for the elite. I mean, let's face it. They're loud. They're boisterous. They like to show off. It's, it's one of the things that turns people off to the young bucks. Instead, they did this very, very low key. And then Cody comes out with a two and a half minute message. And thanks the fans for their patience while they're starting this, hopefully, multi-million dollar company. Well, I think, you know, it's just that it's showing right now that that they're humble. And and they realize this is something different for them. This isn't their in-ring personas. This isn't, you know, them being the rock stars they are in the ring. This is a whole different different venue for them. And they're learning through this process and they're working to get there and they want people – uh, they're asking for patience, and they appreciate that at times, and and they and they ultimately appreciate the support. I think it's interesting because we saw the exact opposite at the WWE upfront for NBC. But before we go to that, I want to talk to you about this Pac and Hangman Page situation that has been breaking basically over the course of the last forty-eight hours. It wasn't even on the original run for the show. Pac is out of Double or Nothing. We know Hangman Page is going to wrestle. 
this is not a good look for the company. At least right now, it just looks like everything is falling apart a week before the show, which tells me in seeing everything that has been so masterfully done in the build to this show, this thing's a work, right? Uh, that was my that was my first inclination that they, they realized they got some other things going on here. Let's get some intrigue. You know, a lot of people have been kind of negative towards the build, uh, which is an indication that that maybe they're not keeping up as much with, you know, the road to double or nothing, or they're just getting little Ted, you know, tidbits of news uh, surrounding this because I mean, this was the first thing we really had teased. This thing's been being built since the very first press conference when yes, yeah, Doc showed first, up in full gear since the first rally, we've been getting this thing here. Uh, but I think it's cooled a little bit where you've got your focus elsewhere. You know, people are still really interested in what you got going on with Jericho and, and Omega Obviously, what has really picked up has become the top marquee, arguably, is uh, is Cody and Dustin. Lucha Bros and Bucks is hotter how than well, hell. How well they put that together. Then you've got the tag match. It's going to main event this thing. Uh, so it's cooled a little bit. So maybe they just figured, hey, man, we need to make that last little effort on the home stretch. Uh, really just crank it up and just make sure we're sprinting towards that finish line. That's what I'm getting from this thing. Okay, so if it's not Pac, they they have said Hangman is going to wrestle at double or nothing, but they have not announced an opponent for him. Cue the CM Punk and John Moxley rumors. I mean, this this just seems like a work all the way around. Absolutely, I you know I was thinking, hell, let's just go back and revisit what stole the show at, at All In, uh, Joey Janelle. Oh yeah, that was a fantastic match. Uh, so now if this match is off the card, I'm looking at Angelico and Jack Evans taking on the best friends as my potential match stealer of the night. Do you look at this undercard? I, I think there's a couple, uh, in any, well, we've got two women's matches, correct? Correct. We got the triple threat and we got the big, uh, six, six lady tag. Uh, I, you know, I especially think that triple threat could go out there and really, really surprise a lot of people. Uh, you know, it, it, a lot of people are saying there's only maybe a few matches at the top that they're looking forward to. I'm looking at this thing, and I think it's going to be uh, an incredible night. Surely, surely as hell, you know, we're going to be sitting more excited in the locker in the locker room next week than we are this week after trying to review Money in the Bank. I, there's nothing on that Money in the Bank card that stands out to me. I, I know we're going to get there. You talked about how it's one of your favorite gimmick pay-per-views. I just think it's so played out. Not looking forward to it whatsoever. I'm also looking forward to OWE versus SCU, which I feel like has been one of the uh, lesser build matches on this card. But that's because SCU has been over in China training with OWE. And I'm sure that what they're doing is they're trying to find a way to adapt what OWE does to a bit of an American style or an American presentation. I'm really looking forward to seeing what those six guys can pull off. I think, you know, we're looking at just not even from a wrestling aspect is is we're talking this match i'm looking at how you know the presentation and how it's received by the audience yep because this thing could be uh, this thing could be a hit or a miss yep speaking of received by the audience that's a perfect segue to the wwe fox upfront uh rick i don't know if i have ever been more embarrassed to say that i am a professional wrestling fan at work than I was when my coworkers were like, dude, you got to watch this and explain this to me. 
This uh, okay because I was gonna awful. say I've had some embarrassing moments as a WWE fan. Uh, mainly when I, I it takes me about twenty minutes to convince uh, a, a bar to put it on television, and then they proceed. The next segment is New Day with pancakes coming out of their shirt, their trunks. Uh, but yeah, what you what you've laid out here for me, uh, this thing seems like a complete disaster. So I, I sent you the video. If anybody else would like to see it, you can hit me on Twitter at not Jargo. I have a copy of the uh, WWE upfront kind of bootlegged from my phone. Uh, the talent that is inside of the video, the opening video that they show for the Fox upfront. I thought this was interesting because we know how meticulously done this, this kind of stuff is. The talent featured in the video was Ricochet, AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, Kofi Kingston in a generic WrestleMania shot. There was no mention of Roman Reigns, no mention of Ronda Rousey, no mention of Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Ricochet, AJ, Nakamura, and Kofi. That's who they chose to put into the upfront video. Pretty interesting choices there. Uh, is there anything to read into this, or do you just think it was maybe just not one of their finer pieces. Well, when you think of a sports-like presentation and athleticism, Ricochet, AJ, Nakamura, and Kofi? I mean, that's that's about the most athletic roster that they got, right? I, I, but that doesn't scream sports to me. That screams floor routine. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the way that this thing was presented, man, so – the Fox. I mean, to me, I'm just sorry to cut you. Like, if you want, if you're gonna win me over with sports, I want this thing to look like UFC, not an Olympic floor show. I, I want Rod Strowman running somebody through through a barrier. Yeah, no, not, or, nothing or, like that. Or you know, Brock Lesnar hitting an F5, Goldberg hitting a jackhammer. Brock is one that I absolutely expected to see featured in that video. No mention of Brock Lesnar whatsoever. Uh, so the Fox executives come out and they lay out this plan. And this is going to be the, the Fox plan going into the fall. It's going to be the NFL on Thursday and then SmackDown on Friday. And then that's going to lead into college football on Saturday, which then spins back into the NFL on Sunday. Rick, and I thought it was intriguing the way they set this up. They have the Fox NFL Sunday crew come walking out and they do their NFL presentation. And of course, you know, Terry Bradshaw makes inappropriate con comments that get him some heat in the mainstream media. But then while the Fox NFL Sunday people are on, they toss to SmackDown and bring out John Cena and Ronda Rousey. This is where the video I sent you picks up. John Cena looks like a bumbling idiot. They like cue his music and there's fire and there's smoke and giant Titan Trons. What the hell was this? Uh, absolutely. I mean, just coming out of it, you just immediately you got this bad vibe. Yeah, because John Cena's like, come on, come on, make some noise. And it's like, dude, these are television executives. These ain't a bunch of fucking marks. These are television executives. And so then, then, Howie Long, who is NFL Hall of Famer. Howie Long introduces Ronda Rousey, who comes out with the whole bad reputation get up 
in a, a beautiful dress and she gets up on stage and she starts hugging on Terry Bradshaw and proceeds to thank Howie for the wonderful introduction while she's sitting there looking. She thought Terry Bradshaw was Howie fucking long. It was, I, it's, I don't know. It's almost speechless how, how bad this thing got at times. It was just, so they finally make their exit. John Cena tosses it over to the big guns, quote unquote, and they cue Hunter's freaking music, full Titan Tron, the Latin, all the whole kit and caboodle, smoke and fire. And out comes the King of Kings and the Queen of Queens, Hunter and Stephanie. It, Rick, it, it was just awful. I mean, Hunter even closed this thing with, are you ready? Are you freaking kidding me? This was embarrassing. Shame on the WWE. Well, you know, as we're talking about here, we're talking about this opening package. How you have some athletic individuals there? How much? How much? A lot of this was Fox. I don't know. I don't know. But this was just the wrong context. This is like going to your brother's wedding and dressing like Matt Riddle when you're in the fucking wedding party. Like, you don't wear flip-flops if you're going to be a freaking groomsman. Bro, don't do it, bro. Oh, my God. It was just awful. Just awful. WWE looks so minor league, and they looked so pro wrestling. That's the problem. They looked so pro wrestling. They didn't look like a multi-billion dollar Wall Street publicly traded company. They came across like a bunch of fucking marks for themselves, and they came out and they tried to pat themselves on the back, just like they do on Monday Night Raw, and they got golf claps from the Fox executives. That's what they got. It was fucking embarrassing. Embarrassing. Well, I wonder, you know, I wonder what kind of calls or feedback you get afterwards from advertisers. Oh my God! I this just, is I what can't your Friday imagine. night. This is what your Friday night's going to be. Oh, it was it was just awful. I may see if I can find a way to upload that into the Hameen Media discussion group on Facebook. People need to see this. It was just wow. <laughs> Best of the Super Junior. Time Oh, Huckleberry, it's it's your favorite time of the show. It's time to talk some New Japan Pro Wrestling Best of Super Juniors update. We are six days in. Day seven is not until Wednesday, so you have plenty of time to go and get all caught up on the best of Super Juniors. Rick, I'm going to run through the numbers here. I'm not going to give away spoilers for individual matches so people can go and get caught up. A block, three days in. Shingo at six points, as well as Taija Ishimori. Dragon Lee and Marty Skrull. Tiger Mask all at four. Remember, Dragon Lee lost to Ishimori on night one. So that is going to be, uh, I, I have a feeling this is all going to come down to Shingo, Ishimori, and Dragon Lee that final night. And that loss to Ishimori is going to play into this thing. 
Jonathan Gresham, Teton, Show, all at two points. Takamichinoku and Kanemaru bringing up the rear at zero. Rick, if you want to go back and watch any of these matches, I'm going to tell you, just go watch anything that Show is doing inside of this tournament. Show Tanaka is a breakout star inside of the best of Super Juniors, and I feel like Rapungi 3K is doomed because they have a star on their hands in Show Tanaka. I was going to say, I, I definitely, I was catching some of the highlights here. I haven't watched any of the full matches, but definitely hit the highlight reels so I could somewhat stay up with you during the conversation. Do you think he's got it in him for the long haul, or is this just a moment, uh, an opportunity for him to shine and, and we go elsewhere? Or are they going to switch, you know, maybe potential what they had in mind because of just how fire he is? It's interesting because we, we talk about how much the junior division needs star power and how much they're hurting without Hiromu. Show absolutely brings that star power, but if you break up Rapungi 3K, you've got nothing in that junior tag division. Like, they are now the perennial stars of that tag division. Well, I mean, do we have to break them up? Eh, I, I kind of feel like we do. I kind of feel like we do. I feel like Sho needs to turn on Yo, because Yo would be the, the this lovable baby face. That he would be the Marty Jannetty just getting the ever-loving piss beat out of him by Shawn Michaels. That's, that's really how this thing is going to go. Well, I mean, you could always just keep going with uh, with Rocky in there. Oh, yeah, you could have him turn on Rocky. Oh, yeah, that is something. Man, I wish Rocky Romero was in the A block now. B block! El Fantasmo, six points. Taguchi at six points. That's right, the one time a year you take Taguchi seriously, best of Super Juniors. Will Ospreay still pulling in six points. Robbie Eagles with four points after that Bullet Club versus Bullet Club mashup with Phantasmo. Great stuff. Bandito, Dookie, and Yo, and Rocky Romero all at two points. Poor Bushi pulling up zero along with Ren Narita, the young lion, at zero. That's right. Bushi's got as many points as a freaking young lion. Goddamn, poor Bushi, man. That poor freaking guy. He's so freaking good, too. B-Block, El Fantasmo leading the way along with Taguchi and Osprey. I don't think anybody thinks Taguchi is actually going to win the B-Block. So you're looking at Fantasmo and Osprey kind of in a dash to the finish here. I'm down with that. El Fantasmo's turning heads inside of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I still can't get a read what the audience thinks of El Fantasmo, though. I'm really looking forward to seeing him in somewhere like Osaka and see how that audience takes on to El Fantasmo versus these smaller shows that we're doing for the best of Super Juniors. Uh, will certainly be very interesting. As you said, uh, he was our late replacement, correct? Well, Fantasmo, he's been in now for a little while. He was the one with the, the crazy glasses that they were hyping was going to be coming to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, I think you're thinking of Dookie or Doki. Yes, that's who I am. That's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, Doki. All right. I, I, I think he's really I don't think they changed anything for Doki. I think they just said, OK, here's what Desperado was going to do inside of this tournament. Go do what Desperado was going to do. And that's what Doki is doing. Although I do like okay. Doki. I, th I hope he gets a job out of this. That's what I was thinking there. That's what I was thinking. Hey, speaking of New Japan news, hey, uh, how about a little credit to you, man? Looks like you, you might have called it. I might have called it. I might have called uh, who's coming for Juice Robinson. Time's up. 
Uh, and I thanks to our, our good friend Seth Kennedy for uh, doing a little homework there, getting the research so that that Dolph just might have some open dates available to uh, to make a travel across the across the globe. You know what I would love to see, man? Could you imagine Dolph Ziggler in the G1 climax? That would shut oh, a lot of people up, wouldn't it? I think you know it's. Personally, I think it'd be phenomenal. You know, I'm high on Dolph. You know, he kind of, I know he gets uppers over bumps and all that stuff, but I think he's one of the better workers that they've had. And I think it's something like that to see him step outside of the WWE universe because he's just been there for so long. Uh, to get outside of that and really show what he can do and go, I think it, it would almost reinvent himself in professional wrestling sense. Man, I would love to see him do a G1 Climax and run that gauntlet, just have a great showing. And then, because with his look, I think the New Japan audience would take to him, like, mad. Oh, I'm with you 100%. I think he's got that unique look. Uh, he's got a, a good look for, you know, in the West, uh, let alone, you know, what, what he's going to get over there. I mean, just he's that rock star that they absolutely would eat up. So before we throw it over to the break, let's talk about the Firefly Funhouse. I want to talk about the Firefly Funhouse, and then we'll do segment two, just as the Money in the Bank preview. Rick, what do you think of the Firefly Funhouse now that we have seen this demented turn from one Mr. Bray Wyatt? Well, I know. Hey, you you were on this. Uh, Big Joe over on Turnbuckle Talk here on here on the Hitting the Mark Pro Rapper, uh podcast network he was you guys were both asking that question is how does this translate into the ring from what we've seen and i was the one that threw out there i mean well why did the puppets and all that have to get involved maybe that's just the first step what we get in the ring is the evolution of this thing if you will the transformation that's exactly seems like what we've got here we are just going into a really deep really deep and darkened and just disturbed gray wyatt I really, really like it. I like anything from the mind that is Tom Savini. Um, if you're not familiar with Mr. Savini, he did a lot of work on the Friday the 13th movies, the Return of the Living Dead movies. Like He is an 80s old school horror wizard. He's been working with the WWE for quite a while now, and I have it on good authority that this entire gimmick is from the mind of Tom Savini and one Mr. Bray Wyatt. Vince McMahon doesn't get it, but he's just, I don't get it. People like it. Do whatever the hell you're doing. What I, and how refreshing is it to hear that? Because usually here, you know, when Vince isn't necessarily understanding something or he wants to try to get involved and fix it, that's usually where we, we kind of see a bit of a fumble. Let's give him credit as well that he's stepping back and letting these guys see their vision you know, play out. And I know there's a lot of fans out there that, that they're still kind of, I guess this is a little bit going over their head, but you know, still to me, this remains, this is since WrestleMania, uh, one of the best things that they've had on their programming. It, it's got people interested. It's got people talking. They're, they're intrigued enough to get invested in this thing either way to see where this thing's going to play out. To me, in the possibilities here and what we've seen now, the twists and the turn, and I hope that he kind of goes back and forth at times where we do get the, the, the sweet and forgiving Bray Wyatt uh, and then just like that snap into that dark demented side of this. I guess to me, this is now my question, and this seems like such a strange, strange question. Is this character going to be a baby face or a heel? I mean, everything says it should be a heel, right? Okay. Then name me a baby face that you're going to put in the ring with Bray Wyatt that's going to get cheered over Bray Wyatt right now. 
people are going to cheer this character. People love this character. People are super into this character. How do you bring this character back well, as a heel? And, and this this really falls into the fault of the company itself because we don't have characters anymore. We don't have these two characters. So now when we are given one and it's in any any affiliation, you know, uh, villain or hero, people are going to get excited for it. Yeah, so like, is, is there anybody that would be cheered over Bray Wyatt? I think you could get there, but you're going to need. We don't need to move into a, 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 a one-on-one program or a direct program right away. You're going to need to really set the you know, set the table of why this is something that you should stay away from. Why this is truly evil. I mean, this is you don't want to cheer the devil. I think this is going to be a big problem for them, man, because people are into this character. If he comes walking out tonight at Money in the Bank, that place is going to pop huge. That's not a heel reaction at all. He's already setting up and teasing that he's going to insert himself in this Money in the Bank match, correct? Yeah. And I just I I feel like this is a big problem that WWE is going to have. If you come out and frame this guy as a heel, I don't think you have a baby face that it's going to work against. Maybe Kofi? Maybe? Other than that, I even if you bring if Bray Wyatt comes out and gives Seth Rollins the sister Abigail, the heel is going to be cheered over your baby face champion. Well, I think that's why you have to tread lightly here. You have to continue to establish through these vignettes and lesser talent why the, why we should that you don't want to cheer the devil. It's that they they've got their hands full with this one. And it's because Bray Wyatt is knocking it out of the park. Let's well, go. It's, it's just not just Bray. It's, it's anybody. Like, we don't have characters like that anymore. And that's what professional wrestling needs to be about. Yep. I completely agree. Let's throw it over to the break. I'm going to grab a smoke. You're going to listen to some fresh white bread and we'll be right back. The best things in life are free. Can give them to the birds and bees. I
So money in the bank coming to us, Rick, from the XL Center in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, this will be an interesting crowd because I guess a lot of Boston people end up making the trip to Hartford. So this very well could end up being a very Boston crowd. I think there's like 10 or 11 matches on this card. And Rick, this is just weird because I, I know WrestleMania was like six weeks ago. But I feel like the build to this show has really taken place over the course of about three hours. Uh, pretty much. And it hasn't been anything very exciting. This this goes back to, you know, I was already talking on today's show a little bit how I'm negative on this thing. And all around, it, they're to really, what build? Yeah, really. Uh, it's, aside from just it's money in the bank time. The gimmick is how, the build. Right. And to me, this is a played out gimmick. Absolutely worn out to this point. I've seen about everything I can see out of it. Uh, and it's simply I'm not excited about uh, what a eight, an eight person ladder match right now. Uh, I feel like I've seen every one of those spots. You're not really going to do anything that's going to overly wow me unless we get some, you know, like surprise entrances. We're going to get to the matches itself. But, you know, top to bottom. You come out just not the money in the bank matches where we didn't even get reasons. What what made these individuals worthy of this opportunity to claim? You know what it essentially is your golden ticket. It's money in the bank. You're you're damn near guaranteed to become a a world champion. Yeah, we only did like two qualifying matches for this year's show. There were no qualifying matches. Well, well, uh, Ricochet had to beat Bobby Roode to hold on to his okay. spot. All right, to hold on to his spot, and then Sammy this. took a bronze spot. Okay, yeah. So, all right. So you have that weeks out, but individually, why were these? Why were these? Why were these people here? Oh, I agree with you, man. I, I I'm, I'm not defending their awful build. And even looking back at this thing, you know, I could take on the men's side. You know, Braun actually had been doing some things in in the narrative that made him worthy of this. Baron Corbin has as well. You know, if, if you look at his accomplishments, but you would Finn Balor uh, has. Finn Balor has as well. Uh, anyone else? And I know this is kind of unpopular because he's that big brute. He has that superstar look. But in the booking, what has Drew McIntyre done? He hasn't won a, a single match at a pay-per-view this year. Uh, just defeated at the grandest stage. No really marquee wins for him. Uh, and yet he's given this opportunity, which completely you know makes no sense to me whatsoever. On the women's side, e- even more mind-boggling when you look at that. But Outside of that, even AJ Styles and Seth Rollins, it was it was so forced heat to try to build something here uh, instead of, you know, giving us something organic that we're going to get. Yeah. Well, let's kind of take a look at the card. Let's run through it because I feel like this could end up being Great Balls of Fire. You remember how down everybody was on Great Balls of Fire and then it turned out being one of the best pay-per-views of the year. There's some really good matchups on this card assuming that they're given the right time and they're booked the right way. It could be a really good show. Tony Nese is going to take on Arya Davari for the WWE pre-show championship. That's also known as the cruiserweight championship. I was just telling Carly, it's a good thing that Wikipedia tells me which one is the champion because I wouldn't have known otherwise. Tony Nese, the defending champion coming into this match. Um, he won that at mania, right? Uh, correct. He won that from Buddy Murphy, if I remember correctly. So I'm going to go with Tony Nese to retain here because I'm guessing this is probably his first title defense. Uh, yeah, I haven't been up to speed on 205 as of late. Uh, he might have had some matches on there, but it definitely is his first major. 
You know, at least when Buddy Murphy was on 205 Live, I was hearing about 205 Live. I don't think I've heard anything about 205 since WrestleMania. Uh, the only related 205 news that, that I've seen even in the in the headlines or on the sheets is that Buddy Murphy and Lexa Bliss may have called off their engagement. Yeah, and that's old news. I mean, good God, anybody that – like Carly told me about that one on Total Divas like uh, two seasons ago, I think. This is not new news. Eric Rowan and Daniel Bryan are going to take on the Usos. This is going to be a non-title matchup. Of course, we have one team from Raw, one team from SmackDown. I'm not even entirely sure why this match is happening, let alone on the pre-show. Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan could actually do something with this tag team division. I don't understand why this is on the pre-show because Daniel Bryan has been so freaking good. Well, you know, what really worries me here is... Not that it's on the pre-show or anything, because you know I get that on these kickoff shows that you you want to try to draw some attention, you want to get those viewing hours Fair. on the network. So I, I can I can understand that. That's that's a, that's a, as good of a justification as you could have gave Huckleberry. Well, uh, but again, uh, unless you're planning on fifty-fifty and giving the Usos their win back, why not put the titles on the line here? Right. I mean, you, you have this uh, shakeup, right, or wild card rule that people can go back and forth here. So, I mean, why couldn't you justify the potential, potentially putting the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championships on a Raw team? And you know I mean, what? what? I could answer that question in a 30-second promo from Daniel Bryan where he simply says, we don't have the SmackDown Tag Team Championships with us because they're made out of leather and we're not going to defend those titles until we get our hemp belts. I get that, but if you want me to tune in, would I be more intrigued if I thought there was at least a possibility that something could happen here? Now I'm more worried that they're going to do a 50-50 when that's the last thing we need right now is Rowan and and Daniel Bryan eating some kind of loss. I still I, I love that Daniel Bryan promo where he talks about the entire tag team division being treated as a joke. I wish that this matchup was the SmackDown Tag Team Champions versus the Raw Tag Team Champions to just unify the damn titles because the the two shows aren't deep enough to have two full tag team divisions. The brand split is basically dead at this point. Why not just unify the tag team championships? And, and, you know, with all the talk coming out of WrestleMania where you had even the Universal and the WWE Championship, uh, they were kind of teasing that. You, you kind of had that feeling that they might be going in that direction, especially with these tag divisions when you had the Usos, uh, you know, with the – they were actually the, – were they the champs when they got drafted over to Raw? Uh, or they had just dropped them. They had just lost them to the, the Hardys. Right. That was one of those big shakeups there. Um, but, yeah, I, it's, I was kind of hoping that you actually would lead towards that as a program. Maybe, like, the Usos have lost theirs to the Hardys. They go over, win the Raw titles, and then come back to SmackDown and say, hey, we we got to settle this. Well, I mean, you could just have Daniel Bryan calling out Hawkins and Ryder for being the freaking losers that they are inside the narrative and the booking and being like, you guys aren't real tag team champions. You're a joke. Just like the entire tag team division is a joke. We're going to hold both sets of tag team titles. We're going to bring them into one hemp belt because it's much more economical and it's much better for the environment. We're just going to have one set of tag team champions and go forward with that. Well, maybe, maybe we have that going forward i mean how exciting would it be potentially at SummerSlam if you got uh viking experience or whatever they're being called this week versus daniel bryan and eric rowan man you talk about 
the artist formerly known as War Machine, dead on arrival for Monday Night Raw. Very disappointing. Samoa Joe is going to take on Rey Mysterio for the United States Championship. Uh, Rick, people aren't even talking about this match. What we're talking about is this report out there that Rey Mysterio wants to lose his mask and then have Dominic put the damn thing on. That's not how Lucha Libre works. That's not how the family tradition works. One member of the family doesn't lose the mask and then put somebody that we've seen on WWE TV for 15 years underneath of the mask. It doesn't work that way. This makes absolutely zero sense to me. Well, I could get maybe where Ray's coming from. He doesn't want to follow that traditional Lucha Libre style of, you know, the tradition with the mask. Obviously, he already lost it once. Well, right. But <laughs> but it's not like the, that those traditions are exactly well recognized by the WWE universe. He's looking for some kind of moment, something. Hey, especially if they're going to have, you know, Dominic in any in any passage, just taking down that mask. I mean, at least he's getting set up for merchandise. Uh, That's it's what it's leak. all about. He wants to pass the mask on so that there's merchandising opportunities for a whole other generation of the Rey Mysterio mask. Hey, if you're going to get a, a development deal, but you can start getting a chunk of your merchandise. How much money do you think Ray's made over the years with that mask? A hell of a lot. That's for sure. I want to see Samoa Joe retain here. Uh, I think we're. I think we're really going to get this is what WrestleMania was supposed to be. That's what I'm expecting as well. You know, they, they kind of had that little hiccup there, hit that speed bump with the potential injury. Uh, so they're, they're, they're kind of correcting this thing here. I'm really hoping Samoa Joe retains this championship. We can't have Samoa Joe losing another big match on another big show at this point. Samoa Joe has been one of the most damaged talents inside of the WWE in the last two years. I mean, when's the last time the guy won a big match? Uh, it's, it's been quite a while. It's very disappointing. I, I mean, would you even, would you even consider when he won the United States championship, like a, no, a marquee win? No, it was on SmackDown. It was, it wasn't even a pay-per-view match, you know, and, and in an absolute cluster. Right. Like Samoa Joe needs some wins. Like he is the biggest dog in the yard who talks the most shit to everybody and never backs it up. Well, it's, it's almost, it's very similar to what I was talking about at the beginning of this money in the bank conversation with Drew McIntyre right now. Yep. A very, very good uh, comparison there. Uh, speaking of big dogs, Roman Reigns is going to take on Elias. This match is going to be awful because Elias sucks from bell to bell. His entire gimmick is the five minutes before the bell rings. And this is just going to be Elias being fed to Roman Reigns. That's that's all I'm expecting. This is going to be Honky Tonk Man versus Hulk Hogan. You know what? I, I'm, I'm kind of when you make that comparison, that's good. Uh, I'll throw in Warrior. I'm OK if this match only goes about two minutes. Yep. Absolutely. The less Roman Reigns I can get on this show, the better. There's way too many matches, and this is one that I just don't need to see. Kofi Kingston is going to take on Kevin Owens for the WWE Mid-Card Championship of the World. Um, I, It's going to be interesting to see how this card is laid out, and, and this is really where things start getting interesting. Does the men's Money in the Bank match happen before the WWE Championship match? Because I feel like... Whoever wins this match is going to forecast who's going to win Money in the Bank. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously. And, and well, and vice, you know, vice versa, you can almost see here. Yeah, absolutely. 
You know, if, if you see a baby face come out of Money in the Bank, chances are Kevin Owens is going to win the WWE Championship. You see a heel come out of Money in the Bank, chances are Kofi's going to come out of WWE Championship. I know, you know, we've talked about it and we've heard, you know, from you know our colleagues, associates uh, across, you know, the shows on our platform and over in the Hami Media Group. Uh, they've been kind of critical of WWE's handling of Kofi Kingston, and, and rightfully so. It just seems there hasn't been that defining moment where he really let us know the importance of what it meant to, to capture that championship. It, it, it seemed like they've been knocking on the door, but it just never quite got there. It, it, it has been a little disappointing. Would you right now, Jargo, would you make the change? Would you make the switch or do you still feel that you can write the ship or there's still some shelf life here with Kofi? I'd make the move to Kevin Owens right now. And then I have Mustafa Ali win the money in the bank. And you do Mustafa Ali versus Kevin Owens for the WWE championship in Saudi Arabia. And you have him come out as a respectful holder of the case. Almost, you know, as Rob Van Dam did. Yep. Where he calls his shot and he says, this is where I want my match. Yes. That's what I would do. Um, and it gives us it gives us something, you know, it's not like we haven't seen it before, but it's been so long. It gives us a little bit of a fresh perspective. Uh, and, and it really, you know, it, it establishes that Ali is, he's very proud. He's a very proud professional. He, he wants to go out there and compete and show everyone that, that he is one of the absolute best. And I guarantee you, Mustafa Ali wins the WWE Championship because there ain't no way Kevin Owens is winning that title. He will get murdered in Saudi Arabia before he gets out of there if he beats Mustafa Ali. Unless it's like some kind of a dusty finish, which I don't think they could get away with that either in Saudi Arabia. Just saying. Uh, Kofi Kingston, the money was in the chase. Um, I I have said since the beginning that Kofi Kingston might be the greatest mid-carder in the world. And the WWE Championship has been defined down to a mid-card slot, so it made all the sense in the world for Kofi Kingston to be the WWE mid-card champion of the world. But now he's got the title, and now what do you do with it? He's still coming out, and he's throwing pancakes. It's nice to see him get serious every once in a while, but I does anybody taking Kofi Kingston seriously as the WWE Championship? Well, I, it, you know, that goes back to what I was just saying. He they have missed the mark so many times on just that defining moment post post WrestleMania to really just solidify what this means. It was almost like they were, they were terrified to, to kind of acknowledge, you know, what most people, and I and rightfully so, I understand why they don't want to come out and just say, well, obviously, you know, he is the first, you know, full blooded, if you will, African American, uh, because it, because it opens up this, this obvious reality that WWE once again is we were talking about, you know, women's wrestling being so far behind in WWE or not just wrestling, but women's rights and movements, whatever they were so far behind. It exposes them that they have with all the great talents that they had, that they've never put this on an African-American, you know, something else that just occurred to me. How about we do this? How about Kofi Kingston gets a big win? over Kevin Owens at Money in the Bank and retains the WWE Mid-Card Championship of the World. Mustafa Ali wins Money in the Bank, 
calls his shot and you do Ali versus Kofi in Saudi Arabia. Because here's my fear. Because you could do a, a very respectful match. Ali beats him for the title. They shake hands at the end and everybody goes home happy. Yeah, you have a code of honor kind of thing. Right. Here, and Here's well, my other fear. If Kevin Owens wins the WWE championship here and Ali wins money in the bank, calls his shot in Saudi Arabia, you make the title switch. Kevin Owens is nothing more than a transitional champion. Kevin Owens has been shit on ever since he's gotten back here, man. Like, I don't want to see Kevin Owens win the title and then lose the title in three weeks. Well, I, you know, kind of laying this out here and something else kind of came to my mind. We're talking about, you know, them kind of not playing into the African-American thing. And they didn't need to go that way to really solidify what this meant. You you could have made Kofi Mania for, you know, it's for everyone. This is for a guy who's been in this company 11 years, you know, even longer than that inside of professional wrestling, who was kind of perceived as that mid, that mid-level that mid guy that was never going to break through that ceiling and finally had that opportunity. This is for everyone. That's a story you can tell of so many individuals out there uh, just trying to work through life. You could have gone that way. But but still, even if that, if that was how they were presenting it, there still is that great portion of the audience, you know, the, the very proud African-American fan base that, that – it kind of felt, and not just the fan base, just we've seen former stars, you know, how this moved them. Uh, I, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Shad Jasper and uh, MVP, you know, in tears watching that moment. So that, I mean, that is reality. Do you want to be Kevin Owens and take that title off of Kofi? I mean, do you want to be a white guy? At, at least if you go in uh, Saudi with, with Ali, you're, you're not on our soil. And it's minority versus minority. Right. Like, I don't feel like there would be nearly the heat. And, and I feel like you protect Kevin Owens in the loss here because the last thing Kevin Owens needs right now is a transitional championship reign. And this, if we were talking about lack of build, this is one of the few matches on this card that they have put build into. Albeit it seemed a bit rushed because they had to just make all these moves with transitions with Kevin Owens. It seems like they, they may be have overconfused the booking, but it, they did put some effort into this thing. So Kofi has a great deal of reason to really want to go out there and just, and, and just put away Kevin Owens. I've talked myself into it. Kofi Kingston retains the WWE mid card championship of the world tonight. Agreed. I'm with you on that one. And I think there's so many reasons, you know, different directions we could go at this thing as to why. Miz versus Shane in a steel cage. Does anybody care? Well, you know, going back, you, you want story, you want build. We were just kind of the, putting over. This is the Kobe. most built match on the show. But. Right. I mean, this has, this has the, you know, has the most legs under it. They, they put some time into this thing. I... I just wonder, you know, the question is, where did it kind of jump the shark? When Shane McMahon took on Kurt Angle at King of the Ring, that's when it jumped the shark for me. I I, I don't enjoy Shane McMahon matches. I just don't. He's, uh, I, he's a glorified stuntman at Pro Wrestling Fantasy Camp. I just, I don't enjoy Shane McMahon matches. It, and I think, you know, just inside of this story here, I think it was just this this program became a victim of the overall atmosphere in WWE. Now that we've got people just running all over the place, you know, they're outside of their own structure. If they could have just maybe kept this to, you know, Shane can go and do what he wants because he is a McMahon. He got rid of the Miz on SmackDown, but he's still going to randomly show up at times for an attack. That would have been great. But now we're seeing everyone 
doing this. It, it takes away what was kind of unique about this and Shane really abusing his power and trying to, you know, really downgrade the Miz who, you know, for so long we, you know, you look at that movie star guy, that movie star wannabe. Uh, and this has actually been a very humbling experience for him. Well, you know, that the thing is, I like what they're doing. I like this program, but they're paying it off way too soon. Like we just did this six weeks ago where we had the Falls Count Anywhere match and Miz basically beats the ever loving hell out of Shane McMahon. But somehow Shane gets the win. Right. I feel like Shane McMahon should be taunting the Miz until SummerSlam to the point where you want to see the Miz get his hands on Shane McMahon so goddamn bad that you will pay $9.99 to watch that match. And they're paying it off in six weeks when they've actually really only done about three weeks worth of build in like three segments. It's just it doesn't have the heat that it should have to it. Yeah, and then, you know, then you're kind of confusing it too. You got Elias involved here. You know, Roman's going to have his ties in. Uh, and you know, the match itself too is you're going back. You, the chain is uh, it's fantasy camp essentially. So it, everything with him is well, well you got money in the bank there. What else? Can, we got to slap gimmicks on chain ma- matches. But, and I'm, any- I, but I'm fine with the cage. It should just be it should be Shane running away from the Miz for months to the point where it has to be in a cage because Shane can't get away or, you know, with inside go a little longer, go to your running into October where you're going to, you know, this big TV adjustment, not necessarily saying it has to all happen on Fox, but I mean, you're going to want something very impactful for USA also at that time. I mean, this would be very fitting of a hell in a cell. If you build it up where Shane just, just keep getting away and Miz now, there is this this opportunity looming there. He was going to request that this happens inside inside Hell in a Cell, but this is just a cage because we're going to get like a top of the cage coast to coast from Shane McMahon. Yeah, I mean it, it's just going to be a gimmick stunt spot, and it should be so much more than that. And Miz is knocking it out of the park, man. I thought I, I wish Roman Reigns was standing there taking notes while the Miz cut his promo on Monday Night Raw. Because Miz was fired up. He was intense. And Roman was like, hey, wait, this isn't the Miz that we want. Give us the Miz that we want. And then we got the Miz that we wanted. He just flipped that switch. And it's a switch that Roman Reigns is still freaking looking for. He's been on top for five freaking years. And he ain't even found the goddamn thing yet, let alone figured out how to flip it. But Miz did it just like that but it needs more time to boil to build that heat so that we really want to see the match as it is it's just like oh fuck i gotta watch a shane mcmahon match tonight and i feel like shane's gotta win because if the miz wins this just keeps going because then what motivation does shane have to just let it go no he's a mcmahon he's gonna keep fucking with the miz Ugh. This is why authority figures versus wrestler matches just don't work because there's never a good logical ending to it. Rick's speechless. Seth Rollins is going to take on AJ Styles for the WWE Championship of the Universe. So now we have a baby versus baby matchup. Rick, the only way that I am okay with this build and the story that they have told going into this match is if Seth Rollins retains the WWE Championship of the Universe 
and then AJ Styles turns heel on Seth Rollins because they have teased this AJ heel turn so much that if they don't pay it off with a full on heel turn, all this did was damage AJ Styles. Yeah, I mean, and it has to be absolutely vicious. Yeah, like definitive. I want to see Seth Rollins bleed and AJ wiping it on his face and down his chest. And it's got to be hardcore. Seth is carried out. Yeah. That's that's really what this needs, because otherwise all they did was just damage AJ Styles and define him down throughout this entire program. Yeah, that's the payoff that we need here tonight Uh, that lets Seth. You know, retain. He's keeping that championship. You're especially coming off this. It's going to be uh, that that first major, major defense since uh, you know, since defeating the beast. And I mean, so you keep Seth rolling here, and you, you save face for AJ as well. So you can prolong this program going through the summer. And their characters are just too similar. There's not enough room on Monday Night Raw for Seth Rollins and AJ Styles in the way that they've been presented thus far inside of the WWE universe. You got to turn one of them. And at this point, it's got to be AJ. I'm going with Seth to retain, but AJ walks out basically on top. That brings us to Becky Two Belts. Lacey Evans and Charlotte Flair challenging for the Raw and SmackDown championships, respectively. Rick how do you book this thing? Like, where do you put these matches on the card? Because I'm kind of leaning towards bookending the show with Becky two belts. So you have the, the Charlotte match or the Lacey match go first. And then, well, probably Lacey versus Becky first. And then let Becky versus Charlotte headline this thing. I think, you know, I think you gotta be having some interesting conversations and creative right now. I know you've been putting it out there recently that, that you believe that, that Charlotte would capture the, the SmackDown championship or would actually go first. Uh, I don't know if you bookend the show with Lacey closing. Well, uh, what, what I, this is what I think you do. I think you do Lacey versus Becky as the first matchup on the show. So Becky is tired going into the Charlotte match later. Um, Charlotte beats Becky, leaves her laying, and then whomever wins the women's money in the bank ladder match cashes in on Becky at that point, and Becky walks out, Becky no belts. So she cashes in for the Raw championship, where Charlotte's just captured the SmackDown. Correct. I can get that there, because, you know, one of the conversations I want to have, and just not because I, I, would, I would be in creative, obviously, fighting for Char Char, uh, but she needs a win. She needs a win against Becky right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love the story that Charlotte can't beat Becky, but I just I don't see it at this point. Like they, they had this whole lo- little love triangle thing going on between Charlotte and Becky and Oscar, and now Oscar, even though she tapped out the man at the Royal Rumble, is relegated to the tag team division. Has have the Iconics even had a match since they won those titles? Yeah. Yeah, they defended. They're defending champs. Remember, they took on that undefeated team up there in Delaware or something like that. Uh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that happened. Um, I, hey, that team was like forty-five and zero. The women's the tag team division was a joke going into it. We called it going into it, and it has been a joke ever since WrestleMania. Um, almost as bad as the men's tag team division. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm. I'm leaning with Charlotte walks out SmackDown champion. And then we have a new Raw Women's Champion at the end of the night as well. Uh, I could see that because that's, I mean, that's going to a, a very um, overwhelming, lasting impression that, that you've taken Becky two belts. 
And let's be honest here, you know, people are still behind her here, but what she has been doing since WrestleMania has been very disappointing. I mean, where's the fire at under the champ? Uh, she's just kind of existing. She goes out there and runs through her normal routine each week. Uh, she's been outmanned by by the lady, Lacey Evans, who is you know, direct. Becky is her target. She is very straightforward in her words, and she gets physical very, very quickly. We, we've seen Charlotte do the same, you know, where Becky's just kind of just now content in her position. Where is that? So we go back to that question, is, is the only the money with her in a chase? Will they allow her to chase both championships if lost? You know, will they still use her across brands? Or will she just be kind of assigned to a certain one? Well, I, I guess she possibly can now because we get this wild card thing. Uh, but the, how long is that? Are we actually going to see that last now that they, the rumor, you know, that it was before the UK tour, then now that's behind them. Yeah. You know, there, there's no way this show is going to happen this way, man. There's no way that Kofi Kingston is going to have that big win over Kevin Owens. And then we're going to have AJ Styles turn heel on Seth Rollins. And then we're going to have two new women's champions and two money in the bank ladder matches. Like we're making this show way better than it's going to be. Right. But that's what I'm saying. On paper, there's a lot of potential for this to be one of the better shows of the year. Well, and they're going to have to do business within the show. I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be overly blown away by them actual matches themselves, because as you said, a lot of this thing is set up for just kind of just a big crash test. Yeah. We got gimmicks all over this thing, and this would be set up going into the summer. But it would almost make you think, okay, you're coming off WrestleMania. You're giving us a six weeks of just up in the air booking. Did you even know what the hell you were doing? Is this hitting another reset button? Well, I think it's quite obvious that they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. We've heard the reports from backstage. It's quite clear at this point that they really have no idea what they're doing. We don't even know if this show has actually been written yet. Hey, they could be doing it as we're sitting here recording. They might be listening to the show being like, fuck, that's a good idea. Let's pitch that to Vince. Well, I hope they're not listening to us right now because it means they hacked our, our, our line. Yeah, well, you know, deep state and shit. Uh, let's talk about the two uh, women's and men's Money in the Bank ladder matches. Let's start off with the men's. Sami Zayn, Ricochet, Drew McIntyre, Baron Corin, Corbin, Jesus Christ, I can't even talk, Mustafa Ali, Finn Balor, Andrade Cien Almas, and Randy Orton. Uh, I guess the place to start is Braun Strowman is out. Sami Zayn is in. That tells me Braun Strowman is going to come out during this match and not only take out Sami Zayn, he's also going to take out Drew McIntyre and he's also going to take out Baron Corbin because they're the two that allowed Sami Zayn to pin Braun Strowman. This like you're going to have one angry giant coming out tonight and it's basically going to be all these little guys and Randy Orton fighting to see who becomes the winner of the money in the bank. Could you see maybe even Braun taking them out before the match? Now, I know we're going to talk about that with the women. Or are we, we going to get too much similar booking here? And that's one of my biggest fears when you have these repeat gimmick matches, especially ones that we've seen for shit a, a decade. Yeah, that's a good point. Is the roster deep enough to even do that? Who would you put in there? If if if, if Sami Zayn, Drew McIntyre, and Baron Corbin all get taken out. Who do you put in there? What well, you know, we're going back to, you know, Bray said he would like to insert himself. Okay, so you got Bray uh, Wyatt. Why do, do we need eight? I mean, less could be more. I mean, you're going to get more. 
you're going to get to feature your these talents that you put into this thing without all those big rest spots. Yeah, well, if you don't, and you're and you're presenting something different than the women who will have eight. I mean, I could see them doing something as stupid as saying, okay, well, those three are out. We're going to put Bray Wyatt in, and the other two are going to be Elias and Roman Reigns. I could absolutely yeah. see them doing that. Yep. Oh, my God. Roman Reigns could win money in the fucking bank. Oh, my God. That's such an awful idea. Ricochet uh, is, I know, that's who uh, Billy Ray Valentine really, really wants to win this match, but uh, that's not going to happen. Ricochet is going to take some kind of absolutely insane bump. That's why he is there. Uh, Finn Balor is the Intercontinental Champion. He is not going to win this match. Uh, Randy Orton is always a, a threat to win a match because you know they could pivot to Randy Orton at any given moment in time. That's one perk of having Randy Orton on the roster. And I know, you know, some people that's going to be, it's they're going to be really sour on that idea. But, I mean, you look at the history there, and if you're looking for something to spice up money in a bank and that, that Hunter mentality, I mean, that's Randy Orton. Yeah, and he's not necessarily the worst option of those necessarily inside of the match. I know we were talking about it. I still like Ali in this thing because the way we laid it out there going into uh, to Saudi. But uh, I'm going with this latest report that we've seen where uh, Charlotte wants CN to win. No, no, where he went into Vince's office and asked for a push and was told to learn English. So to me, that means he he's, has a, a very good chance of winning this thing. And he has kind of been learning some English. They've been giving him some mic time, and it's absolutely awful. I don't know why you would want CN to learn English when he has Zelina Vega there to talk for him. I mean, to me, if you have a great talker who gives a shit if he can speak English, especially when he's on the roster to appeal to the Spanish-speaking audience. Well, it, it, what, what gets me on that is, <laughs> yeah, you let him go out there and cut like a, a brief promo in you know, his native. Yeah, he can cut 20 <laughs> seconds in fucking Spanish, get his point across, and then just let Vega do the rest of the talking. Well, yeah, well, and essentially just have them repeat one another. Yeah, but that's all so, you need. Vega has given us to us in English, and he can just reiterate it in, you know, in Spanish. Yeah, that's it. Th- this and, is not know, rocket so, science. Well, it's another thing, too, that, 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 that this, we go around in circles with, well, if you can't work to Mike, then you're not going to get over. Well, sure as hell is working for Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Yeah, right? Well, and, and and especially when you're specifically there to cater to an audience that WWE is trying to reach. Like, when Jinder Mahal was out there trying to get over in India, it didn't matter if he got over in the States. He wanted him to get over in India. So come out and speak Punjabi. That makes sense. If you want CN to cater to the Mexican audience because you're trying to get over in Mexico, come out and speak fucking Spanish. It was the same thing Alberto Del Rio did. Eddie did it from time to time. We've heard Ray go into Spanish from time to time because they're trying to reach that demographic. So learn English. What? Why? So he can go out there and speak English poorly and we can all give him the what chant? That doesn't seem fucking productive to me. Now, like with Asuka and Kairi Sane, I get it because they're not being catered to the Japanese audience. I understand why Vince wants them to speak English. 
But like with CN, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Just saying. Damn it. I want him to win this smash though, because I think he'd be great with the briefcase. The other one is Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn, as obnoxious as he is, has been fantastic. Although I do think it's hilarious that he is now basically wearing the Dean Ambrose freaking gear. You know, he's like walking around in like the beanie and the leather jacket. He's like, he's basically been turned into Zany Dean Ambrose. But speaking Vince McMahon's words, that's Sami Zayn's character at this point. He's annoying as shit. I can't stand him. He's knocking it out of the park because that's exactly how I'm supposed to feel about it. And can you imagine how obnoxious he would be with that briefcase? He would just be like, like Braun Strowman could come out at the beginning of this match, take out Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn lays out there and plays dead for 25 minutes, somehow crawls into the ring, climbs up the ladder and gets that briefcase and it would be fucking gold. Okay, well, let's get back here. because We're talking about he knows that he stole one. He shouldn't be in this thing. He got away with one. He, he is he Make is taking this opportunity. Uh, well, I understand that. So if you're Sammy, what are what is your game plan going into this tonight? You, you really can't trust Baron or McIntyre right now because they, they have the same goal in mind. I you love that they fed him to of. Braun Strowman. I absolutely loved that little touch. That was the best part of Monday Night Raw. When when they, they help Sammy beat Baron Corbin and then feed Sammy saying two. Braun Strowman it was fucking great. That was the best yeah, shit. So, so you have to have some kind of game plan, and we have to believe that Sammy, his his character, who he is, is going to realize that he, he's not an idiot. He always comes with a game plan. How about how about this? What if we book the match like this? So the bell rings, Braun's music hits, Sammy Zayn takes off running through the crowd, up the concourse, like through the concession area and shit, and you don't see him until the end of the match. He just takes off running. Braun comes out, destroys McIntyre, destroys Corbin. 25 minutes later, you see Sami Zayn come running in from the other end of the building. He runs in, slides in the ring, climbs up the ladder, grabs the briefcase, and takes off running again. I'd almost, I'd almost love to have him uh, sitting at the ringside in disguise. <laughs> Like like a bad grandpa gimmick, like where it's really good. So like it's not like a cheesy like fake mustache and nose, but it's like a really good, you know, a really good makeup job on him. And then out of nowhere, he just comes out like, what, what the hell's going on? This old man's climbing the ladder. You know what else would be entertaining is if Sami Zayn won the Money in the Bank and Kevin Owens defeated Kofi Kingston. Could you imagine the dynamic between those two if Sammy had the briefcase and Kevin had the championship and they were being like buddy buddy because, you know, we're like beating everybody up together. But the second Sammy Zane sees that Kevin's laying down, he starts thinking about cashing in that briefcase. Oh, yeah, that would be freaking gold, too. Now, if they if they let us know now with this wild card. Can they cash in on either champ, or is it supposed to be who they're de- the brand they're designated to? Who fucking knows? Wild card, yeah. Because you know, really, at this point, I'm not even really sure who's designated where, except for the you know the champs. Yeah, because they introduced the wild card. Like, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the wild card rule go away Monday night on Raw, simply because I feel like it was put together for the UK tour to begin with, and everybody knows how awful it is. If Sammy wins, could he just cash in like on Becky? 
Hey, why not? There is a rumor out there that Becky Lynch could lose both belts and then insert herself into the women's money in the bank ladder match and win money in the bank. How about that? So like, yeah. So like close with the women's or have it late in the show where Becky's already lost everything. Yep. Basically, let's let's let it worked at the Rumble. Let's just do that all over again. Well, as, as you and I were have been throwing it out there. Hey, get, hey now that you're talking about people from Boston making that road trip. I'll be surprised if Sasha Banks shows up here. Yep. But the people from Boston are also going to cheer Becky because there's a, there's a lot of Irish. So that plays into and I could see Becky Lynch being able to defeat Natalia, Dana Brooke, Naomi, Bailey, Mandy Rose, Ember Moon, Carmella and Nikki Cross all at the same time. The way that Becky has been presented, the way Alexa or not Alexa, Charlotte and Lacey Evans, the way that all three of those ladies have been presented. Who, who have they? Uh, who's replacing Bliss? Nikki Cross. OK, Nikki. Uh, be interesting to see what we kind of get from Nikki. I, I don't even know what to expect from Nikki Cross at this point because she cut this great promo on WWE.com about coming out of the dark and then they didn't show that promo on Monday Night Raw. But the Nikki Cross that you saw with Alexa Bliss backstage was the Nikki Cross that's coming out of the dark. Like they're only telling you half of the story. It's like they just expect us to sit on WWE.com all day. My HR department at work is like this, too. Like, they think that I just sit there with my email open and just keep refreshing it every 30 seconds to see if I have anything new. No. And I don't sit on WWE.com refreshing the page to see if there's anything new that I have to see there either. And you have to at least reference it on the freaking show to let me know it's there. And usually what they're shooting over there at the dot com absolutely just blows away anything that we're getting on the actual television program. Because it's not scripted. I actually heard, I heard this on another show earlier this week. What's raw about raw? There is nothing raw about Monday Night Raw anymore. The show should be called like overproduced cheese. So who are you picking to win these two matches, Rick? I'm going to go with uh, with Ali just uh, for that setup that we've got going on there. I'm going to oh. stick with CN because I think CN would be really good. I think that would really add something to that act. And I feel like he's the only person in this thing other than Sami Zayn, which is way more creative than they're going to give Sami Zayn. So I'm going to go with CN because I feel like he's the only one that's going to benefit from this. And then... Well, and I guess there's the Sasha Banks thing too. We didn't yeah, talk about I, Sasha I, Banks. I really feel I feel if she if she is put into this match, Sasha Banks, I really I don't think there's any entry with any of the, the ladies that are actually announced for this match with them walking around with this case. I, I see absolutely zero entry. No, the the only ones that would even benefit from this thing are Dana Brooke. Um I don't think you <laughs> Which, That's going to do absolutely nothing. She she will drag down the case. Yeah, that'll that'll be awful. I, I could I could potentially see Mandy Rose, Ember Moon. I could see as a dark horse if they want a baby face, but I, I think it maybe helps her out a little bit. But I think she's just so far gone that people have just checked out on her. And, and I think you know within creative the meetings they're having, you got to believe that Mandy Rose is, might be the top candidate now that Bliss is gone from that 
from the options. If we still had crazy Nikki Cross, that could be fun. Like have her win it and not necessarily understand what she won. That could be fun. I guess the other appealing option would be Bailey. Um, if Bailey would win the case and that led to a Bailey heel turn, I could see that because they've kind of teased that like dark Bailey on SmackDown a couple of times. If they want to go all in on that route, I could see this being an opportunity to do it. But this is one of those, I guess the intrigue here, uh, the match I'm expecting to be absolute garbage, uh, even with a gimmick match. Not looking for anything that's really going to pop me, but it, the injury is going to be the development of where we go from here. What do you make of this Alexa Bliss thing? What's going on with Bliss? Is she done? I mean, is that what we're looking at potential here? Well, you know, there was a report out there and Alexa Bliss saw it and she absolutely refuted it on uh, Twitter. So she said her career is just fine. Well, I mean, we get to this point, though, but she, she, she might be thinking that herself. We heard that from Daniel Bryan. You know, he's going to work through. Everything's going to be OK. But once the company steps in, you know, for the talent safety, I mean, it, it might be out of her hands. But I still think that uh, she's so talented in so many aspects of the game that, that she has a, a long shelf life still here with the company. Let's hope so. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit our sponsors over at thegorillaposition.com, lastwordonprowrestling.com. And of course, catch Huckleberry and I this Monday in the locker room on Hameen Media, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Be sure to check us out on Twitch every Tuesday for HTM Sports, twitch.tv backslash hitting the marks. You might know there's some playoffs going on that we like to talk about. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hitting the marks. Com. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargoRBV. Where do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, as always, you can keep it up with me. We're going to be across all social media platforms at the Real RBV. And hey, there is still time to get involved. Encourage everyone to head on over to Facebook, the Hummy Media Discussion Group, and, and jump on in on the very first, very first go around in a brand new season of our uh, WWE Pick'em Challenge. That's underway there, so make sure you're checking that out. And to make sure that you're joining us for Money in the Bank, Monday Night Raw, Tuesday, SmackDown Live uh, for our live discussions this week and getting ready to gear up for the big excitement of next week with Double or Nothing. And RBV's looking for a new tag partner for the Pick'em Challenge because I retired at the end of last season. I ain't doing that shit anymore. That shit gave me a headache. That's it for this week's show. We will talk to you tomorrow in the locker room reviewing Money in the Bank. Let's hope that it's a good show and half of what we predicted comes true. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up.
That's the bad guy. Don't worry. <laughs> you know I. You know I. 